This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 190 for Wednesday, July 3rd, 2013. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. You can also hit up our feedback line. That's 347-815-0687, 347-815-0MTR. All right, so... Nice one-week hiatus. We're back on a day early, obviously, because uh, America <laughs> tomorrow. And, um, yeah, so broadcasting on the 4th of July, not happening. Also, my sister celebrates a birthday, so I will be playing Instadad tomorrow. Uh, you know, Fudgy the Whale, birthday cake, and numerous other things, plus uh, some barbecues and some other bullshit. You guys know the deal. But, anyway... A day early doesn't take away from the fact that, you know, we're going to try and bring you the best show that we can. I was hoping to actually have our MTR anniversary fall on a Thursday this year. Unfortunately, it falls on a Tuesday. MTR celebrates four years of broadcasting live to you guys on July 9th. So four years of not wanting to blow my brains out. So that's actually a step in the right direction. So a little bit of a milestone for us. And of course, we are 10 episodes away from the big MTR 200. So that's uh, something I'm really looking forward to. Hopefully, we will be able to do some really cool stuff for MTR 200. Maybe we'll bring in a couple of different guests from the past, you know, 200 some odd episodes. We'll see who decides to show up and we'll have news in regards to that closer to MTR 200. All right. So Last week, there was no show because we were working Consumer Electronics Week, which was a tremendous success for MTR. And just for you guys as listeners, we got a lot of great stuff to give away. We're also working on a lot of reviews and a lot of stuff for our YouTube channel. So um, make sure you subscribe, youtube.com forward slash MyTakeRadioTV. One thing I found out recently is that we can live stream shows to... YouTube, but we need to hit 1,000 subscribers. So tell your friends, tell your illegal friends, tell your dead friends, your ex-girlfriends to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way we can start uh, live streaming the shows onto YouTube as well. Anyway, one of the things that we got to see at CE Week was a lot of Bluetooth speakers. We got a lot of different Bluetooth speakers we're going to give out. Uh, We just got a care package today from Damson which we actually shared a photo on our Facebook fan page. So we got some Bluetooth speakers from them. We also got some cool stuff from Echo, MTX Audio, uh, 
actually two things from Echo, some stuff from MTX Audio. We got a DVD of Rooster Teeth that we're going to review and hopefully give away. We got a UFC book that we still got to give away and a ton of other stuff. So it's definitely going to be a couple of weeks of giveaways leading up to MTR 200. Uh, one big announcement I did want to share this week. We have a new addition to the MTR family, Mortis, um, a longtime listener and friend of the show, will be joining us in our endeavors going forward. He will be uh, contributing in the video game and comic book areas of the site, but like any of our other writers, he is welcome to branch out into other areas. So definitely uh, when Mortis stops in the chat, make sure to give him a warm welcome as he will be officially part of the MTR family. As usual, you know, new guys, they got that little bit of a probationary period, uh, probably 30 days or so, but Mortis is a good dude, and I'm sure he's going to contribute some really cool stuff. He comes in with, you know, an amateur MMA background. Uh, He's a hardcore comic book fan. He's actually working on his own comic that he's working on getting out very soon, and I'm sure he's going to share some of that with you guys. Um, Also, of course, a, a gamer like the rest of us, and a longtime friend of not only uh, Slick, but also myself as well. So I'm glad to have him on board as always, though we are always inviting new writers to come on board, whether on a guest basis or on a full-time basis, only because, you know, we get a lot of stuff, we get a lot of cool stuff, and we like to share the wealth, especially with those of you that support the show. I mean, the, the the best writers we've had and the best contributors that we've had Besides our in-house staff, are listeners of the show. They come on board. They're familiar with what we do. They enjoy uh, what we offer, and that allows them to actually give you guys some genuine uh, content for the site. So definitely welcome Mortis to the staff. And um, like I said, we're always looking for new writers. Make sure to check out the application on MyTakeRadio.com. We we run a pretty a pretty laid-back ship. I'm not I'm not too much of a slave driver. So um, don't think that I'm going to beat you up. But, you know, we, we do have some rules. We do have a couple of, of rules that, that keep the, um, the madness in check throughout the site. So make sure to check that out if you're interested in writing for the site. All right. So a couple of things besides that announcement and, of course, CE Week. Um, our Stitcher numbers, now that the Stitcher platform has changed to a new way to track downloads and listens, has seen a tremendous increase as always make sure to check out the show on um, stitcher and you'll be able to enter the promo code and get a $100 gift card courtesy of you know of our friends at stitcher and of course mtr also one thing we noticed is and this is something i've been kind of on the fence about we were testing out probably monday doing doing the show obviously with video and a couple of things came to my attention uh, doing video, it's it. There's a science to it, and I've noticed a lot of degradation in the picture, um, especially trying to get a, a high quality picture. And I think maybe because I'm using two cameras at the same time, but I'm I'm sure our friends at GFQ will give us an assist on that. But we have been testing video and um, tried a, a Google Hangout a couple of days ago. That worked out pretty well. Just again to get accustomed to being in front of the camera. I actually was told that I should do Google Hangouts for Raw um, and, you know, share my thoughts while Raw is live on air. But, you know, Slick and John Blade and Quark do a really good job with their commentary on Raw. So trying to do a Google Hangout and getting home in time to do it, just it's it just can't happen. Most of the time I leave work uh, by 830, 
sometimes quarter to nine. So I miss most of Raw by the time I get here. So, you know, Slick, Quark, and Blade, they actually keep things on an even keel on the fan page. And then Jay Santi stepped in uh, doing Impact and SmackDown. So it allows a lot of great commentary on the site. If you've seen recently, Jay Santi did a uh, great great write-up for House of Glory's high-intensity show, which happened last week, and a tremendous response. A lot of people are really digging the article. Make sure to check that out if you're a fan of indie wrestling. Uh, Quark put out a really great piece about Nintendo's IPs as well. Uh, Slick has been putting out some stuff, including um, a thing he put out with regards to the Walking Dead 400 Days Uh, DLC, which is out on PSN, and we'll be discussing that later on in the gaming segment. And, of course, we got a ton of trailers. Um, Andrea's review of Rogue Touch, which is a a fiction novel put out by Marvel. That's out also on the site, so make sure to check all that out. Also, I got a note from our hosting company that we were changing servers, which, for all intents and purposes, should have been completed, but... I ask that if you guys are checking out the site on a frequent basis and you notice that it's running slow or running kind of funky, please make sure to let me know because I want to kind of document um, all the instances where there's a, you know, slow navigation, slow loading, etc. because I got to let them know and I want to make sure that the, that the site is running up to speed. All right, so here's what we're going to talk about tonight. Of course, we got uh, your MMA news. We got, of course, UFC 162 this weekend we're going to talk a little bit about raw i'm actually going to change gears a little bit and talk about the uh wednesday night main event which i got to watch this week also i watched it earlier tonight also we got all your gaming news especially the departures from microsoft and what that means going forward we got a lot of movie news including some what the fuck movie news as well so without further ado let's get the ball rolling because i want to try and get it done not keep you guys up too late since we've been doing three hour plus shows for the last couple of weeks. Anyway, let's get right into it with some MMA. So Rampage is in the MMA news this week because, very interesting, he did an interview with regards to doing both training as a professional wrestler but also training to fight MMA. And one of the things that I discussed in previous episodes is rearing its head already, and that's the fact that it's going to be very difficult for Rampage to transition from training for professional mixed martial arts fights and doing professional wrestling either either separate or together because the the training st- the training regimens for both of those uh sports varies not only that but I feel that uh, on the MMA on the MMA side of things there's more conditioning and it has to be consistent especially working all the different disciplines at once meanwhile with professional wrestling your body just takes a lot of what I like to call micro damage in the sense that you know constant bumps small small little tears here and there small little nagging injuries that pop up and you can talk to any wrestler that's been on air or any wrestler that you may know and they will tell you that that you know these are little things you pick up these aches and pains over time and in Rampage's case I've always said the guy's not getting any younger and to jump into this field at this point is just I'm not saying it's a recipe for disaster but I just feel that his his dedication to it is not going to be a hundred percent I mean think about it 
if you're doing practice and you're doing bumps and you're doing all that stuff for five or six hours a day in some cases, and then you're you're switching gears and maybe you're alternating and training uh, stand-up one day or wrestling another day or doing cardio another day or Muay Thai another day, it's, it's not going to work. So in this interview that he did, I want to just share some of his comments. He said, well, I've always wanted to be a pro wrestler since I was a kid, but now that I'm older and have had a lot of injuries, people don't understand the toll that wrestling takes on your body. I just don't think I can do that now while I'm fighting. But when I retire from fighting and go full-time into pro wrestling, then I think I can go and get more extensive with my style and my moves. Right now, I just want to stick to what I know. I haven't trained for wrestling, but I know MMA, and MMA is exciting. That's why it has such a big following, and it does now that it has the the large following that it has now. I want to bring my style into my performance. Guys like Samoa Joe have an MMA style in their pro wrestling and stuff like that. I want to be different than him, citing, of course, Samoa Joe. I still like to slam and throw people, and that's why I did that so many years in my MMA career, because I was a pro wrestler at heart. I wanted to bring some pro wrestling into my MMA back in Pride, and now I want to bring some MMA into my pro wrestling. Now, there's a couple of different ways to look at this. Rampage wants to obviously do both at the same time. Wrestle and do MMA. I'm I'm telling you guys right now, it's not going to work. And the reason I say that is is because of exactly what he said, just those those nagging injuries. I think in Rampage's case, he can train MMA and do some of the basic wrestling stuff and you know, show up on Impact, be the occasional enforcer, maybe do a tag match, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but I don't think he's going to be able to go full bore training the way a guy like Kurt Angle trains versus, you know, training for a mixed martial arts fight. King Mo is in a similar in a you know he's in a similar predicament but King Mo is younger and his body hasn't been as beaten up as Rampage has not only that but King Mo is also kind of sticking to the basics i mean i've seen some of his OVW matches and he's doing a lot of the just the more basic stuff not not to say that his wrestling is is garbage but he's doing a lot of beginner level stuff you know basic bumps uh some decent moves here and there with some little shades of of expansion in his move set which is good so i mean for for a guy like King Mo he, you know, he can probably do professional wrestling when Bellator is between seasons, or maybe he can just cross promote and maybe show up as an enforcer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, in Rampage's case, he's he's going to be involved in TNA with an angle that's going on right now with the main event Mafia. Uh, consider that a spoiler if you guys haven't read it or haven't watched any of it online. But Rampage is going to be involved in the war against Aces and Eights, so we're going to see how how well Rampage is adjusting to being a pro wrestler. But like I said, I don't think it's going to be a, a, he's going to benefit from doing both at the same time. I'd I'd rather see rampage focus more on MMA because I think he still has a lot to offer the sport and then step away and start doing professional wrestling. Much like Kurt angle stepped away from Olympic wrestling and look how successful he's been. So we shall see what happens. We got some kickboxing news this week. It seems that Spike TV is going to start airing Glory World Series kickboxing events on their network. Um, Originally, Glory, of course, held their World Series events on pay-per-view with replays on the CBS Sports Network, which most times I had to watch in grainy-ass standard definition. So very happy to see that. Glad to see Glory getting some exposure and, of course, seeing the, the discipline of eight limbs getting showcased here in the States. I do gotta tell you guys that if you like MMA, you definitely got to give 
uh, Muay Thai fighting, just, just, it's, it's even, it's just due, and only because I know a lot of guys that, that listen to the show, they tell me, Rich, I can't get into the MMA, the, the ground shit is super boring, or I just can't get into that aspect of the sport, you know, I like the stand-up, or guys that are fans of boxing, well, if, if you're a fan of the stand-up and devastating knockouts, then you definitely got to give kickboxing a shot. I mean, Glor- Glory's event here in New York City had a tremendous turnout. Um, they got a lot of great talent in their organization. Tyrone Spong, Gokan Saki, uh, Semi Schilt, uh, Giorgio Petrosian, Daniel Gita, Remy Bajanski. I mean, Glory 9, which was held at the Hammerstein Ballroom, was tremendous. So to, to see it get the exposure on Spike TV, I think will take kickboxing to the next level. And a lot of these guys... For those of you that are strictly well-versed in MMA only, um, a lot of guys that have come into MMA had kickboxing backgrounds. Alistair Overeem uh, being being the most notable one that I can reference off the top of my head. Um, actually, you know what? I can also say... Uh, what the hell is his name? Uh, well, Overeem being the first and shit. The guy's name, uh, there's three people's names who escape me. And I think it's just because I'm a, I'm a little rusty doing the show. But anyway, like I said, glory world series airing on spike TV, they're going to start doing two hour live shows probably later on this year. Once the announcement is official. And like I said, I'm super pumped. If they're smart, they'll find ways to cross promote maybe with Bellator. Maybe you get some of those guys in there. And if Bellator was smart, it would try also to cross promote with glory as well. So, the big the big news, obviously, besides fight week this week, has been the issues of fighter pay. Fighter pay has been something that has been referenced on air multiple times, but as of late, it's becoming a, a bigger issue, especially guys that are that are lower on the proverbial rung in mixed martial arts, especially in the UFC that aren't getting paid fairly. Now, the thing is, I there's two schools of thought when you look at fighter pay, and there's there's incentive based and then there's you know just your placement on the card from an incentive standpoint a, a a fighter can make a decent a decent amount of money but then they fight to make bonuses whether it's fight of the night submission or, or knockout bonus which again yields pretty solid results for a lot of these guys but there are also guys who are signing contracts that you know they're coming in they're signing three four fight deals they're maybe not catching on with the fans. Maybe they're only fighting on on television and not on pay-per-view. And that's a factor as well. Well, with that said, Tim Kennedy actually made a, a pretty strong case about fighter pay. And he, he gave an interview on, on a podcast where he was claiming that, you know, it's pathetic that fighter a lot of fighters got to take second jobs to support their careers. And he also went on to say that he, he would be better off collecting trash than accepting low pay as a fighter. He also noted that when he won his fight recently with Hodger Gracie, he earned $20,000, and that was before taxes and other expenses. Now, of course, once that statement got out, it was discussed at length on many shows and many news outlets, and I I can kind of understand the frustration with with Tim Kennedy. I mean, you got to think about it. You you walk away with 20 grand, you got to pay your your coaches, you got to pay your taxes, etc. But you also have to take into consideration that if you're making money from sponsors, that's an extra income as well. So again, it's it's a you know, it's it's a double-edged sword with regards to that. But 
you know, Kennedy went on, you know, a few days later, he published an apology on Facebook and he said, you know, the intent of these statements was to highlight that professional fighters incur significant expenses associated with their preparations to fight and that fighter compensation is still not on par with other major sports. While I am fortunate to have various revenue streams associated with my business interests, most fighters do not have that luxury. When you spend training camps with great guys with amazing talent, you see them barely making ends meet. While simultaneously seeing athletes in other sports with far less character and a far smaller work ethic make exceptionally more money, you can get frustrated. He added, Unfortunately, I made statements that alluded to how the UFC in particular pays its athletes. This was particularly offensive as Zufa has taken better care of me than any other organization, even giving me a bonus for being amusing on Twitter. My choice of words was poor, not properly formed, and did not match my intent. Additionally, my comments were taken out of context. So, you know, it's it, it's crazy because he he really looked at it and he acknowledged that maybe he was a little a little heavy-handed, but he did open a Pandora's box because I've seen guys on Twitter certain fighters um you know, Mayhem Miller being one, um War Machine being another just talking about the fighter pay and Dana White actually said something about it on MMA Junkies website and it was crazy because he said you don't like the pay structure we'll pay the lower level guys more money and then we won't give out any more fucking bonuses you guys come in you negotiate your contracts and we do away with all bonuses that's what i'm thinking about doing he went on to say that the bonuses are something we've been doing out of the kindness of our fucking heart it was something we like to do apparently people don't like it they want the lower level guys to get paid more money he said We're more like Major League Soccer as far as financials go. You fight three times a year, you make $50,000 to show, and $50,000 to win. You're making $300,000 a year fighting three times a year. You know you have to take jujitsu and do all these things, but we have the same thing. We don't just put on the fights, we have overhead too. All these fucking morons have no idea what goes into this and what it takes to build a sport and company at the same time. And we've been very fair to guys. So, you know, Dana White make some valid points. I think in Tim Kennedy's case, I can understand his frustration and I can understand a lot of the guys that are just coming into the organization. But you also have to consider when you get signed by the UFC, you're, you're getting, you're being told what you're going to get paid. Now I'm not trying to be an asshole either, but think about it. You sign on the dotted line. Say I get a contract with the UFC and they go, Hey rich, we're going to give you a, a three fight deal and you're going to get paid $15,000 a fight. And, you know, there's obviously performance bonuses, etc. So my job at that point is I say to myself, all right, I got fifteen grand here for this fight. I got to pay my coaches. I got to pay my nutritionist. I got to pay whatever other uh, crazy training things I added to the equation. Plus, I got to go out there and sell myself so that I can become attractive to sponsors so that they can help shoulder some of those bills. Now it's, it's the same thing. Like, like let's take the show. For instance, I show up, I do the show. It doesn't end with me showing up and doing the show. It, it, it continues with after the show's done, you got to do show prep. You got to put the show out there. You got to promote the show. If you're, if you're in the, the monetization business, you got to go out there and try and find advertisers to do that. You also got to do the reviews and all the other stuff plus do a real job. So again, I understand the, where the fighters are coming from, but your job at that point is to make yourself 
attractive, not only to the organization, but attractive to the fans. The more the fans clamor to see you, the better placement you get on the card, the better placement you get on the card, the more money you can get. You sign your three fights. If you're exciting and renegotiate, you renegotiate for more money. I mean, again, I, I, I understand both sides, but I also got to look at it as, as clear cut as possible, which is like I said, you come in, you sign your deal. You know what your deal is going to be. If you do well and you re-sign with the organization, you re-sign for more money. While you're at it, get yourself a couple of sponsors and make it happen. But this fighter pay issue is going to continue for the foreseeable future. Me personally, I really don't want to see the the bonuses taken away because you got to look at it like this. A lot of these guys, they go out there and some of the most legendary fights that we've had have been fights that get those fight of the night bonuses or submission of the night bonuses or knockout of the night bonuses. There, It's extra incentive for these guys. Not to say that these guys don't come in there with the fuse lit, ready to rock and roll, but think about it. If I can, if I'm making twenty thousand dollars and I can pocket an extra fifteen by separating this guy from his consciousness, what do you think I'm gonna go out there and try to do? Separate the guy from his fucking consciousness, which of course leads to more exciting fights. It's just the way shit is. Do I think that the lower tier fighters could could stand to have a pay a pay bump? Sure, but it's like, all right, say they get paid ten thousand. What do you want to do? Give them, you know, give them 15, maybe, maybe give them 15 factor in what they have on to spend on training. But the other thing is also fighter education. I really think that the UFC should take the opportunity and sit down their incoming fighters that they sign and be like, listen, this is how it works. This is what you're getting paid. These are the bonuses that you can earn, you know, Twitter bonus, um, being active on social media, um, knockout submission, and fight of the night bonuses, and of course, whatever sponsors you can get to make up any additional monies. It's not hard. I think it's a, it's just a matter of education. A lot of these guys, they 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 haven't mastered the fine art of becoming their own business. Tim Kennedy, he's done a great job of it. Another guy who I gotta cite is Uriah Faber. Uriah Faber, he goes out there. He's got his team. He worked with Amped Energy. He's work, you know, he's got his torque clothing line. The guy is out there. He's a bona fide hustler. He's on Twitter. He's on Facebook, Instagram, being extremely social. That's what it is. You are your own business. Another, another great, uh, another great example I can cite: Joe Lazan, another great guy. Pat Barry, another one. Um, Ronda Rousey. Same thing. These are all these are all athletes that they know what they're being paid, but they find other ways to market themselves to make more money. That's all I'm saying. In some MMA expansion news, the UFC is looking to begin their Chinese version of the Ultimate Fighter. They will be holding tryouts next month, and they're looking for fighters in featherweight, lightweight, and welterweight divisions to try out for the show. The show will be airing on Chinese language Liaoning TV, and the show is going to feature 16 fighters total in all of the above weight classes. So you're going to have a couple of fighters from featherweight, a couple from lightweight, and a couple from welterweight. In some injury news, Nick Ring is out of his fight with Uriah Hall, which was scheduled for UFC on Fox Sports 1. Um, It seems that Ring had to withdraw from the show and will be replaced by Josh Salmon. Josh Salmon will be facing Uriah Hall in his place, and of course, UFC Fox Sports 1.1 goes down August 17th in Boston. Um, The main card will air on Fox Sports 1. 
Another fight that's coming together rather quickly is Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate. Obviously, you guys have been hearing and seeing some of the stuff in various uh, news outlets about how these two chicks just really want to kill each other. And we won't have to wait too long. All signs are pointing to it going down at UFC 168, which is happening December 28th in Las Vegas. It's it's crazy. You know, Ronda Rousey's giving her the finger every time she sees her. Tamisha Tate, Dana White was saying there's a lot of stuff getting blurred out. They're always in each other's face. And another crazy thing is that, and this is, this is the kicker, um, Misha Tate was recently announced as being the next mixed martial artist in the ESPN bodies issue. Now, if you guys know, uh, Gina Carano did it. Ronda Rousey has done it. Um, Chris Cyborg has done it. Now, Misha Tate will be joining uh, the list of, of female mixed martial artists doing ESPN, the bodies issue. Uh, very interesting. A lot of people are saying that she's kind of trying to bite Ronda Rousey's style to get out there in mainstream. Make of it what you will. But if, if you're interested in, in seeing it, I'm sure we will be getting that cover sooner rather than later. So there you have it, folks. Ronda Rousey, Misha Tate goes down December 28th. The other injury I had to talk about, which is also affecting the Fox Sports 1 card, is Tiago Alves. The pit bull has to withdraw from the welterweight bout against Matt Brown. Matt Brown will now be facing Mike Pyle. Super bummed out. I was really looking forward to Tiago Alves uh, fighting on that card. Myself and Ben had talked about it a couple of weeks back. And, you know, it's something I'm really, really looking forward to. A little bummed about that, but, you know, it is what it is. Anyway, um, that's actually going to wrap up MMA for this week. So let's get into some wrestling news, shall we? We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! Alright, so this week's wrestling segment, we got Monday Night Raw, and like I said, we're going to be talking about the WWE main event as well. So, first up, let's get into Raw, which was, it was alright this week. It opened up with the participants of the uh, Money in the Bank All-Stars match, of course. Um, Daniel Bryan came out, Sheamus, Randy Orton, Kane, Christian, CM Punk. Uh, Very interesting, though, CM Punk came out. And kind of shouted out Rob Van Dam, which was very interesting. There might be some foreshadowing there. Maybe um, a CM Punk RVD program. Maybe RVD is going to be the latest Heyman guy. Remains to be seen. Uh, Of course, Daniel Bryan has a nice little exchange with Randy Orton, which resulted in Kane eating an RKO. Now, here's something I was thinking about. You know, it's... um, You're looking at Randy Orton, CM Punk... Daniel Bryan, these guys, Apex Predator, best in the world. Daniel Bryan, he's always being clowned about the beard. I say that he should use the that be, the the goat gimmick, you know, the goat name that they that they joke about, and use that as him being the goat, as in the greatest of all time. It would kind of be, com, you know, it would compete well with CM Punk's best in the world. 
I think he should come out and, you know, CM Punk, you come out here, you run your mouth about being the best in the world. Well, you know what? Daniel Bryan is the GOAT. And everybody's like, you know, everybody will be like, what the hell? Daniel Bryan is the GOAT. And he just goes, yeah, greatest of all time. You know, and, and people people will kind of, I think people will get behind that. You can have a lot of fun with that with shirts and stuff like that. I mean, the the beard shirt that he came out with um, this past Monday was, was kind of cool. Um, I actually like the new shirt CM Punk came out with. I, I thought it was simple and to the point, and it definitely would you know gets people going because of the of the nice design. I mean, I like the the Second City Saint shirt with with him on it in the, in the airbrush style, but the real simple shirts, like I said, with his logo on the front or um, knees to faces, those were all great shirts. This, eh, not so much. Anyway. So, our first match of the night, we had a six-man tag match with The Shield and Christian and The Usos. This was a repeat, of course, of SmackDown. Uh, except this time, the result was a little different with The Shield taking the victory. Um, match started off a little slow, but definitely started picking up uh, second gear after the commercial break. I, I really feel that The Shield, just that every week, they continue to get better, but... The real standouts in this match, besides Christian, who's always a solid worker, are the Usos. I'm very happy to see the Usos getting a, a renewed focus. It really helps out the tag team division. And above all else, these 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 young guys, they can go out there and really give some some great matches. I think that if you give them enough time and you put a little faith behind them and let them carry the ball, I think the Usos are going to be a tag team that you're going to be seeing on TV for the foreseeable future. Now... The, the biggest mistake they can do is try and figure out who's the, the stronger of the two brothers and give them a solo run because you really should have tag teams that have been together for years. I think that's one of the things that's really lacking in professional wrestling. Guys who, who are constantly on the road together that are, are constant tag team partners, that's, that's the kind of stuff that really helps the tag team division. Not only because those particular individuals are just... Um, the cornerstones of that division, but because there's more to it than just throwing two guys together as a tag team. And the reason I say that is you look, you look at wrestling back in the days, you had the killer bees. Um, you had the heart foundation, you had the rockers, the bushwhackers, uh, you had the Mountie, uh, the Quebecers, you had the Quebecers, hell, the four horsemen, uh, the fabulous Freebirds. You can go down the list. And these are guys that have been together. These are individuals together for years years and that's that's one of the big things that i noticed was consistent with so many of these great tag teams and stables i mean even cassius ono and antonio cesaro or you know were were guys that when they were the kings of wrestling and ring of honor those guys always together always delivering great matches same thing with the american wolves same thing with the briscoes and yeah i mean they're starting to they've broken those teams up to give them they're little solo runs, but there's always been that that cornerstone of, of those guys just functioning together as a unit. It's the same thing with, with the Dudley Boys. The, the Dudley Boys are probably one of the few tag teams that you split up and you actually, it, it, it bared more fruit for the roster. And obviously, when I say that, I say it because you got a main eventer out of Bully Ray and you got a decent mid-carder out of Devon. And occasionally you can still throw them together for nostalgia's sake. But those guys, they'd been together long enough that they, if they branched out individually, it would work. 
But when you're taking guys like like Road Scholars, Road Scholars are a great example. They came together. They're a solid tag team. It just works. But every couple of weeks, eh, let's just break them up. Eh, let's put them back together. Eh, let's break them up. You, in, in Cody Rhodes's case, I would rather keep him in the tag team so that Sandow can kind of keep him under his wing and, and you know, he can pick up little tips and tricks and just branch out on his own down the road. The Usos are a tag team I wouldn't break up. I wouldn't break up the primetime players either, and I'll tell you why. Because Titus O'Neil is definitely the mouthpiece of the group. Darren Young, though, he, he's, a, he's a solid wrestler. He's, he's very good in there. And I guarantee you, you break them up, Darren Young would probably get released, and Titus would probably languish in the mid-card. A great example of that was um, Crime Time. You look at the, at the separation of, of Shad and JTG, they tried to push Shad, it didn't work out, Shad got released, and JTG, you know, some people still wake up wondering if he even has a job. So, it was, it was that's what I mean, I think we need more long-term tag teams, just, just a couple, I'm not saying... Guys got to be on the road for years, but if you you know the the Usos are a great example. Um, primetime players are are another great example of just tag teams that work well together. Even look at the Wyatt family; they're going to debut as a unit. I'm sure Bray Wyatt will probably do some single stuff, and then you know the other the other members of the Wyatt family will be a solid tag team. And that's what I'm saying. But you you want to kind of keep them together at least a year, at at minimum a year. Because that's what I mean. You throw these guys together, there's chemistry there, and then you pull the trigger because one guy overshadows the other. It's just a, a it's just a, um, you know, just a, 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 a small annoyance I have with regards to the current state of tag team wrestling. Anyway, moving on. Our second match of the night was Dolph Ziggler and Jinder Mahal, which was, which actually was okay, but you knew how it was going to end. You knew Ziggler was going to go over. Uh, Mahal looked all right. He, he uh, definitely a faster paced match. We knew how it was going to end. I did like what they did with um, 3MB attacking Dolph Ziggler and, you know, Ziggler getting the better of them and hitting the zigzag. And, um, you know, I, I think it's a nice way to start heading into face territory. Uh, 3MB, let's not kid ourselves. Those guys are, are jobber fodder for the foreseeable future. And if you let them go out there and have solid matches with guys like Dolph Ziggler and stuff, sure, they're going to be on the losing end most of the time, but at least it allows them to showcase more of their skill set. I mean, Zack Ryder's another guy who I say, you know, he goes out there, he has shades of brilliance, and then they just bury the shit out of him. So we'll see what happens. I mean, it, it, it was, like I said, it was a solid match. It definitely wasn't shitty. Um, Kane and Randy Orton... Met you know in the third match of the night, Daniel Bryan was your special guest referee. Um, it, it was it was cool, you know, a nice little nice little way to build up the the three way feud between these guys, which of course is going to end violently at Money in the Bank. But again, it, it was pretty cool. We got a um, Fandango and Sheamus was the next match of the night. Now the thing with this match for me was I said, damn, Fandango comes back from a concussion and they put him in the fucking ring with Sheamus. Holy shit, but uh, of course, Fandango being the heel that he is, um, he ditched it, you know, he ditched the match, and Sheamus took the victory via countout. While, you know, obviously countouts are what everybody, you know, nobody likes countouts, let's not kid ourselves, but I think Fandango coming back, starting to get back into the swing of things, 
I don't think that having him take a lot of high-impact moves from Sheamus was the right move. Plus, if you want to do any sort of a mini-feud possible, you could do something with Fandango and Sheamus down the road. The Miz got murder-death killed um, by Ryback. It was uh, it was crazy because he the Miz looked really good, but Ryback was just being Ryback. And then it was crazy because Ryback calls for a match stoppage which was ridiculous just because I don't understand where they're going with this whole cryback gimmick, just making him a complete bitch and um, really not doing him any favors. I think Ryback's heel run has been probably one of the worst heel runs. Um, I'd like to say within the last year, probably one of the worst heel runs because it's just shit, complete and utter dog shit. On the flip side, we got a... uh, CM Punk and Curtis Axel against the primetime players. Um, definitely not the kind of match I actually was looking forward to, but given that we're doing some plot development, I you know, I gave it a pass. I do have to say that Axel, as always, goes out there, looks really good in his match. I like the way the storytelling went. CM Punk hits the, 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 the go to sleep, and um, just as he's about to get the pin... Axel tags in and steals the victory from CM Punk. Definitely, a, again, a little bit of foreshadowing, a nice bit of, of, of teasing. I'm sure it's going to end with these guys all whooping CM Punk's ass and then CM Punk going through matches with each, with, with each of them, which is fine. Think about it. Brock Lesnar, you do a little feud with him. You do one with Curtis Axel. If Rob Van Dam comes in as a Heyman guy, I'm sure that match would be ridiculous. Rob Van Dam and CM Punk. If the Shield realign themselves with Heyman, you can get some great matches with the Shield and CM Punk. So, I, I think I think if it goes the way that I'm saying, CM, excuse me, CM Punk is going to have a full dance card for the foreseeable future. And considering the wealth of talent that they'd put him in there with, I don't mind in the least. So. Caitlyn took on Alicia Fox in the I'm going to go and take a piss break match because that's what it was. Um, AJ showing unsavory modeling pictures of Caitlyn. Uh, be a star, AJ. Be a star. Go ahead. Make fun of Caitlyn being fat because, you know, the the whole bullying campaign that's going on really just um, doesn't matter when you're going to sit there and make fun of somebody for being overweight. Just saying. Cody Rhodes took on Antonio Cesaro as the We The People Alliance continues with the return of Jack Swagger, which I'm sure should yield some decent tag team matches with Cesaro and Swagger against any of the tag teams currently on the roster. Um, Solid match. I'm bummed that Cody Rhodes had to do the job, but at least Cesaro isn't, you know, isn't losing. Seriously. I mean, the match itself was very good, and it was just a showcase of Cesaro's talents. Um, Cody made him look awesome in that match. And again, I'm just bummed that Cody lost because Cody's one of those guys. Every loss really hurts his character. Um, we got a diva segment. We got to see some of the new divas that are going to show up on the E show, which was pretty much a way to just plug the shit out of that, which what'd you expect? It's coming sooner rather than later. We got a Wyatt family promo. Allegedly they will be debuting next week. We shall see how that goes and who they will feud with. I'm definitely interested to see how their debut pans out. Last match of the night was our champion versus champion match with Del Rio and John Cena, which, of course, you all know was going to end in shenanigans. As soon as Mark Henry came out and, you know, Ziggler came out as well, um, Cena hits the attitude adjustment, and that's it. Wash, rinse, repeat. 
Um, Mark Henry gave John Cena the belt, kind of teased whooping John Cena's ass. Uh, Cena grabs the belt, and Henry walks out, and that ends the show. Now, here's here's something very interesting. Throughout the night, they were showing, um, you know, uh, video packages of all the champions, which I want to discuss in detail. But the thing that gets me is um, Mark Henry. And, I, and, the, and the reason is because Mark Henry has um, been extremely, extremely entertaining for, I'd like to say, for the better part of the last two years. You know, his, his Hall of Pain gimmick has been tremendous. He's gone out there and had solid matches with everybody. But people still take it upon themselves to shit on Mark Henry. Um, somebody who I know, who, you know, fellow uh, fellow website owner, said on, on, on Facebook, ah, Mark Henry, everybody's talking about him being a dominating force. I don't understand how this fat guy is a dominating force. And, you know, I, I really, I kind of, I, I don't really talk about wrestling like that on people's pages on Facebook, but I had to interject and I had to say, listen, dude, Mark Henry's probably one of the best big guys on the roster along with Kane. It's not the big show. It sure as fuck isn't the great Kali, but in terms of just big imposing forces, Kane and Mark Henry are probably the two best guys on the roster. And for you to sit there and say, oh, Mark Henry's a fat dude, you you, you guys probably, and the individuals that think that, they probably just have a, a, a misunderstanding of how strongman competitions work. When you look at, you know, pull up Metrics, um, M-E-T-R-X, strongman competitions, most of these guys are just big, burly-looking dudes. You look at them, you're like, ah, you know, that guy is just a big guy. But these guys are just monstrously, savagely strong human beings. These are guys that, you know, they can bend um, a construction pole. They can pick up a large boulder and set it on a barrel. They can toss a barrel, you know, five or six feet across a beach. And and sure, these guys, they're not your, your Batistas or your John Cena's or, well, there's one or two guys. I mean, Marius, Marius Pujanowski is a great example of that Polish powerhouse. But seriously, most of these guys, you look at them, they're just big, monstrous human beings. Mark Henry is the same way. Like like I said a couple of weeks back, if Mark Henry grabs you by the neck and, and barely squeezes, he will pop your head like a zit. So it kills me when people that are, that are misinformed just go, oh, you know, Mark Henry's just a fat guy, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yo, Mark Henry's a big dude. Is some of it fat? Yes. But is this a guy that can drag a tractor trailer down the block and probably punch through your door with one hand? Yes. So, you know, a little a little a little respect. You know what I mean? I mean, I clown a lot of these guys because of their gimmicks and stuff, but Mark Henry, he's been a guy who's can, can probably one of the strongest guys on the roster and probably one of the one of the guys who's been most improved within the last couple of years. I mean, he's come a long way, sure. The, the, he went from the nation gimmick to the shitty-ass sexual chocolate gimmick. But as soon as he unleashed a Hall of Pain, we got to see a better Mark Henry, a more entertaining Mark Henry. And you know what? That's not a bad thing. Anyway, switching gears from Raw, let's get into main event this week, which was surprisingly good. We had a, a singles match between Christian and Damian Sandow, which was, again, very, very good. Um, you know... The end of the match ended with uh, Christian countering uh, Sandow clothesline into the kill switch. Started off a little slow, definitely before the commercial break, but then again, it picked up. And I think these guys, they have really good chemistry together. 
I, I think a, a singles feud for the with these two guys would do wonders for both of them. Christian is solid on the mic. He, he's good in the ring. And Sandow, of course, he's, he's gold on the mic. And every match that he's involved in, he's involved in, you get to see a little bit more character development, a little bit more uh, of a little bit more development in his in his ring awareness and he just looks more fluid out there and i think a a singles program with christian would definitely do him good the second match of the night was sin cara taking on jack swagger of course it was all about murica and um it was okay i i always feel that the contrast of styles doesn't do these guys any favors sin cara comes out there moving at you know high speed Jack Swagger really trying to slow shit down. And, of course, he's going to secure the victory with the Patriot lock. It was it was all right. You know, I mean, Sin Cara had the mood lighting going on, which was kind of cool. But, as usual, it was a competitive... What I like to look at is a competitive squash. You want to get Jack Swagger back out there, get him back on the winning track. Sin Cara, of course, uh, being Hispanic, that there's there's instant heat with Zeb Coulter there. So... It is what it is. I mean, from a from a um, competitive jobbing standpoint, it was a, it was a decent match. But I, I don't know where they want to go with Sin Cara's character because you take a guy who's marketable, has a solid look. His his ring work is suspect, but again, I, I attribute that to you know people being forced to kind of adapt their wrestling to his. But besides that. I've always wondered where they want to go with it because originally they wanted to do the whole big thing with Rey Mysterio, but Rey Mysterio at this point, I think if he does recover well from his injury, he's probably going to come back, do one more run, go in the Hall of Fame, and that should be it. I mean, if you want to get that match out of him and Sin Cara, maybe at Mania, sure, I, I could I could deal with that, but, you know, it's a, it's a little weird. It's a little funky because, like I said, you got a guy, he's younger, then Rey Mysterio, the fans can get behind him, but again, you're just you're just not doing anything with him, and you can attribute that either to his ring style or how he works with performers. But you guys got to figure something out because Sin Cara is a guy that you guys that WWE can make a lot of money with. I say the same thing about Shark Boy on TNA and Suicide. These are guys that you can sell their masks, T-shirts for the kids, toys, all this other shit, and you'll make a ton of money. Why they're not finding ways to use Sin Cara better beats me. Now, the last match of the night was Biggie Langston and Kurt Hawkins, who um, another another talented guy who's underutilized Kurt Hawkins. I've always felt that him and Zack Ryder would benefit from reuniting and, and making a run at the tag team titles. I think they work well together. Uh, Kurt Hawkins looked good in his match with Biggie, but of course, another competitive squash match. Biggie hits him with the big splash. Singlet comes down, big ending, and that was it. I mean, the crowd was definitely into Kurt Hawkins. He had a, a, a kind of a biker gimmick going on. Like I said, another guy just in flux, no idea what they want to do with him. And it's unfortunate because Hawkins isn't a bad guy. And I'm not even saying that because, you know, he's, he's from New York City or he's from Queens. But I'm just saying it from the standpoint that he's not a terrible wrestler. Like, I've seen it when, even when he was out there with Tyler Rex, he wasn't, he wasn't a bad performer to watch. On the contrary, he he was very solid in the ring. It's just, again, they just had nothing for him. Anyway, let's get into the other wrestling news for this week. Uh, first up, of course, got to extend my condolences to R Truth. If you haven't, if you've been wondering where R Truth is, R Truth actually has been off television. His sister, uh, Francetta Killings, uh, passed away. She was she was dealing with a uh, lengthy 
battle with cancer, seven years, according to WWE, excuse me, WWE.com. So, um, you know, our condolences to our truth and his family. But um, if, if you guys are wondering why he hasn't been on TV, he did not get fired before any of you guys come out there and say that he's, you know, just dealing with some personal stuff. Definitely. You know, our condolences to the killings family. Goldberg is in the news this week and no, he is not coming back. He denies that to no end. And honestly, I don't think we'll be seeing Goldberg back in the WWE ring anytime soon, unless it's to claim a hall of fame ring. But it seems WWE will be putting out a Goldberg DVD and Blu-ray uh, covering his career. According to the description, it says uh, Goldberg was one of the most dominant and talented individuals ever witnessed in sports entertainment, exploding onto the scene by amassing an epic win streak of 173 matches. Throughout his WCW career, he defeated legends such as Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, and Diamond Dallas Page. As he crossed over to the WWE, the powerhouse continued his dominance, taking on superstars such as The Rock, Triple H, and Brock Lesnar, amongst others. This three-disc compilation features some of the biggest matches in Goldberg's impressive career and showcases why his legacy will forever be cemented in sports entertainment. So there you have it. I'm actually interested in seeing... Uh, what matches they're going to include. I definitely would like to see his uh, his title win with Hogan, uh, the cattle prod loss to Kevin Nash, um, definitely his match with The Rock, I'm, I'm interested in seeing, and his match with Triple H, especially because those guys had beef. And I'm curious to see if he actually provides any commentary for this, and it's not just a, you know, a WWE job the whole way. Because I think it'd be a great way to get Goldberg back in there, Um you know, allow him to tell his story, get the DVD out there, put him in the Hall of Fame if you want, because I think that's it, it's fitting. And that's it. You're never going to get Goldberg back in the ring. He's never going to work, um, you know, he's never going to work any shows. He's not going to manage Raw or any of that shit. So just Hall of Fame him, put the DVD and the Blu-ray out, and that's it. And I have to agree with Slick. It's true. The main event when he beat Hollywood Hogan was the shit. I probably jumped out of my seat when that happened because it was amazing. It was crazy the way that it went when he got Hogan up for the jackhammer. I got to say, one of my favorite spots was when he got the Big Show up for the jackhammer because that was ridiculous. That was when Big Show was super plus-sized, like really huge, and Goldberg got him up and dropped him with the jackhammer. He also got up Kevin Nash, which was pretty impressive as well. So definitely on my radar, this Goldberg DVD and Blu-ray set. Of course, you can pre-order it through the MTR Amazon store, which, of course, helps us out. And as soon as I find out uh, a match listing, I will share that with you guys. So, while we were on the subject of the Hall of Fame, we all know that WWE has their Hall of Fame, and they have a lot of Hall of Fame stuff in Stanford, Connecticut, but they're actually going to open a physical Hall of Fame building, which is going to be built in Orlando, Florida. Get this at the former home of Impact Wrestling. So they're going to put it where the NBC City Table Services and Universal Studios, they're going to shut that down, and it's going to be remodeled into the WWE Hall of Fame. So there you have it. You guys want to see a, 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 all the Hall of Fame stuff? It's going to be going down at Universal Studios. Very, very cool. One guy who's a bona fide Hall of Famer, which I'm sure is going to happen sooner rather than later, is the People's Champion, The Rock, who actually got into some mainstream news earlier this week for cracking the Forbes top 25 most powerful celebrities at number 25 between June, 2012 and June, 2013, the rock earned $46 million. Now think about that. Those are movie paydays 
plus that wonderful WWE contract that he had for WrestleMania. So there you have it. From June 2012 to June 2013, The Rock made $46 million and secures himself a spot on on Forbes' top 25 most powerful celebrities list. This bit of news may definitely go under the radar for a lot of our younger wrestling fans, but when I was growing up, and I'm sure Slick can attest to this, on Channel 9, they used to give Glow, which was the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Um, definitely super over-the-top wrestling with uh, ladies like Lady Godiva, uh, Nanachka, who was a, a Russian, who had a Russian gimmick, um, Big Bad Mama, and... Um, Wow, there were there was there were so many ladies. I, I only remember a few of them from Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling, but I did want to talk about this because one of the ladies I just mentioned, Big Bad Mama, actually passed away. Uh Big Bad Mama was one of the original characters from Glow. Uh her gimmick was that she was a Louisiana voodoo queen. She actually popped up on an episode of Married with Children. Um after her career in Glow, her name was uh Lynn Braxton, she left the business, she became an auto mechanic. She had a successful, you know, she had a successful battle with cancer. Uh, she beat cancer. She took part in the Glow documentary, which aired on the Logo Net on the Logo Network, and you can probably find it on the web. And um, yeah, she she passed away. Pretty pretty crazy. Just because, like I said, I watch Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. I remember Big Bad Mama. She come out with a big painted face. She had like a big muumu house dress, and she was a powerhouse. This was a big lady. She'd come out there and she'd manhandle these chicks. If if you want an equivalent, think of Awesome Kong with face paint, and that's who Big Bad Mama was. And you know, it's it's just crazy because, like I said, it she she was a, a persona who I remember watching on Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling on Channel Nine. If you guys are interested in checking out some of that footage, you can look up Glow on YouTube, and I'm sure you can find some stuff. I remember Lady Godiva; she used to come out on a white horse, um, in a in a in a skin colored bodysuit, obviously to simulate that she was naked. But, you know, think about it. You're a kid. I, I don't even remember. I think I may have been eight or nine years old. This chick's coming out half naked. You're like, holy cow. You know, and it's wrestling. So it, it's just a trip. Long before the, you know, bra and panty matches in the Attitude Era, Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling was the standard when it came to that shit. So, again, our condolences to Lynn Braxton's family. Uh, very unfortunate. But, again, her spirit lives on by the uh, Glow documentary, and by the various Glow matches on YouTube. Another wrestling death, unfortunately, that it seems to be the the theme of this week's wrestling segment, was Matt Osborne. Um, for those of you that don't know, Matt Osborne was actually Doink the Clown from 1992 to 1993. Uh, he passed away at a um, area hospital in Texas. The, um, and, you know, they don't... The cause of death hasn't been unveiled, you know, hasn't been released yet. As of right now, it seems that his death is being ruled accidental. I don't know what that means, but I'm sure we'll find out. I know that his autopsy may have been done, I think, yesterday or the day before, but it hasn't been released to the general public. I am curious. I mean, countless people have played Doink the Clown, including the Brooklyn Brawler, but Matt Osborne was the original one. Matt Osborne was the original Doink the Clown. Um, It was reported, like I said, on NBC News. And um, he was doink from 1992 to 1993. We got our first WWE wellness suspension in quite some time. And that individual is, of all people, Ricardo Rodriguez. Um, If you watched SmackDown last week, you know Ricardo Rodriguez got written off the show. 
by uh, pretty much being thrown through a table by Dolph Ziggler, thus being injured storyline-wise. Um, while there is no word on what caused the wellness violation, people are saying, and there was actually a statement from a friend of his, um, uh, um, an independent wrestler that said that he was suspended for taking fat burners. I don't know how legit that is, but I actually thought he may have been suspended for smoking weed because, you know, that's not not to be an asshole, but that's really the easiest the easiest suspension you can get. Um, I will say that the craziest thing with regards to that is that if it is because of fat burners, then WWE is definitely getting really, really strict with their wellness policies. <laughs> I see that slick. Um, I got to get used to using X chat. He mentioned uh, how long has a JTG been employed? There's actually a website that has a uh, an article about how long has JTG been employed. That website is lolwrestling.com forward slash how long has JTG been employed. Funny stuff for sure. Thank you, Slick, for sharing that. Make sure to check it out and have a good laugh. Another, uh, the, the like I said, re- a lot of wrestling deaths. Um, Paul Heyman's dad. He actually passed away on my birthday on June 25th. It was in the New York Times. Um, He was an attorney here in New York City, and he actually helped finance uh, Paul Heyman's tenure as owner of ECW. Uh, Definitely really crazy, Um, especially because Paul Heyman's been on television. Uh, Like I said, his father, Richard Heyman, passed away on June 25th. So uh, Paul Heyman definitely is is a fucking consummate professional to be out there you know, shortly after just doing what he does best. I, I'm sure, you know, it's, it's crazy that some people can, can still function, but you know, again, you know, my condolences to uh, the Heyman family on that with regards to that. So switching gears, I wanted to talk about something you guys may have noticed on raw this week. And that was, like I said, the championship video packages for the world heavyweight champions and the, and the WWE champions. One of the video packages that definitely got the internet buzzing was the video package that featured Sting. Now, as many of you know, Sting is a TNA Hall of Famer and is currently signed with Impact Wrestling. Of course, Sting was uh, a legend in WCW, numerous wars with guys like Booker T, Hogan, Ric Flair, the Four Horsemen, Lex Luger, an endless list of, of individuals. Now, it seems that the reason WWE did this is because There's a lot of strong rumors that indicate that Sting is interested in signing with WWE. While obviously there's no direct negotiations out there, they're saying that there there are some feelers that have been sent out and that WWE is confident that Sting will eventually be part of the roster. Now, you got to look at that in a couple of different ways. Obviously, the hardcore wrestling fans are going to be like, oh, you know, it's kind of cool. We can get some of those really cool matches. You know, Sting and The Undertaker, of course, being the biggest that people would like to see. Um, perhaps Sting and John Cena, maybe, you know, you could do a little a little something with that. But I, I think, you know, Sting and Triple H, Sting and The Undertaker, some of the, some of the more seasoned guys would yield some awesome matches. I mean, even Ric Flair. I know Ric Flair may have a, uh, may still have a contract with WWE, but again, the chemistry with those guys just... It, it needs to be there. Honestly, if they were smart, when they do Vicky Guerrero's quote-unquote performance evaluation, and if they fired her, it would be cool to bring Sting in and have him be the GM of Raw. It would be very interesting, maybe tie it into him going into the WWE Hall of Fame, something like that. 
But I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a totally against Sting joining the WWE roster because, like I said, he could go in the Hall of Fame. You could do something with him. But again, we'll see what happens. It's all rumors right now, speculation. Take it with a grain of salt. But I personally, I, I'd love to see it. Again, the the hardcore wrestling fanboy in me would love to see Sting and the Undertaker at Mania. It would be it would be one for the ages if it's built right. While we are on the subject of TNA, TNA uh, did their own version of the purge this week by cleaning out a lot of roster members. Joey Ryan, Christian York, Taylor Hendricks, who asked for her release actually, and Crimson are all talents that have been released by TNA. Um, it's allegedly due to budget cuts within the company. Um it's been said that the talents are being paid a monthly guarantee with an additional fee when they're booked for TNA events. Since they weren't being used regularly, there was no need to keep them under contract. Now, couple of, I have a couple of issues with this. Joey Ryan came in. He had some, some solid fanfare. Um, he had a pretty cool gimmick. I thought he was going to be a force in, in the X Division, um, a bigger heel that people could have been digging. Turns out that was not the case. They paired him with Matt Morgan, then they took him off TV, then they brought him back. Just a, just a complete clusterfuck the way he was handled. Christian York was a guy who I really thought was going to gain serious traction. He had a cool gimmick, cool finisher, great music. People were into him. He had great matches with Jeff Hardy, um, a lot of X Division competitors. I really thought the guy had a bright future, especially because he won gut check last year, but that was not the case. Now, if WWE was smart, you could pick up a guy like Christian York and put him in there. In, in the mid-card and, and kind of keep the mid-card fresh. I mean, the guy's a solid worker. He's been in the business for years, and he's extremely entertaining to watch. So not using him, in TNA's case, they really dropped the ball because their X Division, you're, you're really starting to see the same six guys, Kenny King, Austin Aries, Suicide, TJ Perkins, you know, who are the same, Christopher Daniels, Kazarian, um, Petey Williams. Like I said, I can name the X Division roster off the top of my head. And a guy like Christian York would have really thrived in that division, and instead they just decided to cut the cord. Taylor Hendricks, she came in, she started developing quite well. They took her off TV, and then that was it. Another one, she was signed through Gut Check. She actually popped up on Impact a couple of weeks back in a, in a match with Mickey James, but she asked for her release. You never know. She may end up heading to um, FCW and maybe get a diva slot. We'll see, because she has the look. You know, she has a pretty cool indie. Uh, you know, red hair look that can can maybe get her noticed. I mean, her wrestling was decent. I don't know if it was because she was just starting out or because she wasn't allowed to showcase her abilities, but her wrestling was pretty good. I mean, I, I could probably say her wrestling was, was on par, if not better than Kelly Kelly's to some degree. Sue me. That's that's kind of how I see it. The The other surprising release was Crimson, only because Crimson debuted in the organization. Um, He was, you know, as Amazing Red's brother, um, he went on this big um, undefeated streak, which ended in, in 2012 Slammiversary when he lost to James Storm. He hadn't been used much. He came back on TV, lost to Joseph Park, which is just a shitty gimmick that I can't stand. And then he got released. Now, in, in Crimson's case, I think, you know, he could probably go to Japan, get really popular over there, tighten up his game a little bit. I'm sure WWE is going to keep an eye on him because, again, He's, he's a guy that, he has that look, you know, he's a bigger guy, he's tattooed, looks pretty badass. I'm, I'm sure the WWE can pick him up. I wouldn't even doubt if they if they pick him up, 
after his non-compete expires. But again, TNA purges Crimson, Taylor Hendricks, Joey Ryan, and Christian York. And I'm sure there will be more to come. As I said on the Facebook fan page, why does Garrett Bischoff still have a job? Just saying. Anyway, that's going to wrap up the wrestling segment for this week. Let's get into the video game news because we have a lot to discuss. So Edge Magazine shared some details with regards to the new Legend of Zelda game that will be coming out on the 3DS, which is Zelda A Link Between Worlds. Um, It's going to be utilizing something that a lot of you guys may be familiar if you played A Link to the Past, and that's going to be the ability to travel between light and dark worlds. So they're going to bring that back, um, obviously, to solve puzzles and do uh, different aspects of, you know, different things in the game. So... It's going to be real interesting to see how they do it. Now, the crazy thing is that this game was going to be running at 60 frames per second with stereoscopic 3D on. That's going to be a faster frame rate, which is going to yield, according to um, AGA Anuma, it's going to yield a more stable 3D effect. So, you know, the 60 frames per second, obviously, that is a big deal. Um, really pumped for that. I mean, 60 frames per second, that's that's what some, some high-end games run at before, you know, they get down-converted. And, and put on YouTube, and, and hell, some PC games run at 60 frames per second or better, so definitely very cool, uh, gets to showcase that the 3DS is a, is a pretty powerful system, and um, you don't got long to wait, The Legend of Zelda A Link Between Worlds is scheduled for release in November, so there you have it folks, so it'll be here just in time for the holidays. Time Warner Cable is burying, uh, not burying, they're borrowing a uh, page out of Fios's playbook, and they're going to bring live TV to the Xbox 360. They're going to be releasing an app later on this summer, and they're going to allow, you know, obviously a lot of their program to be seen. From what I'm hearing, it's going to be roughly um, about 150 to 200 channels. Don't quote me on that. Again, that's what the rumors are saying, but Time Warner Cable will now be joining um, Xfinity, and uh, Fios as cable providers that you'll be able to watch on your Xbox 360. Very, very interesting times, especially with the Xbox One right around the corner as well. Now, The Walking Dead 400 Days is officially out on the PlayStation Network. Um, The PC, Mac, and, um, you know, the PC and Mac are going to get it. Well, they got it July 3rd. It's officially July 4th now since it's midnight. And Xbox 360 owners will be getting it this Friday. So there you have it. If you want to play The Walking Dead 400 Days, you can play it right now on the PSN. Um, you can play it on the PCN Mac. Uh, the PCN, the PSN, sorry. And um, the PCN Mac, of course, and Xbox 360 owners will get it on July 5th. Now, if you're a European PlayStation 3 owner, um, you'll be able to get that along with iOS users on July 11th. So there you have it. A game that I thought I wouldn't be talking about this week in detail was Injustice Gods Among Us. Of course, the the biggest news for that game is the release of General Zod DLC, which is actually pretty cool. I captured some footage, which I'm going to share with you guys on our YouTube channel, so make sure to check that out later on this week. Um, But it seems that the four characters that have been released are not the only four. 
Lobo, Batgirl, Scorpion, and General Zod are the four that have been released. Ed Boon was asked if we were going to be seeing more DLC characters, and he said that the answer is yes. As of right now, though, we don't know when they'll be debuting or if they will be part of the existing season pass. Obviously, rumors are very strong that it's going to be Martian Manhunter. Some people are saying Satanas. Other people are saying the Red Hood. Um, I will say I'd rather see Martian Manhunter than see another Batman character. I mean, Zatanna, she'll probably be cool to play as, but Red Hood, is for as much as I'd like to play as the Red Hood, I'd rather maybe see a more violent Damian Wayne, get Damian Wayne in there, you know, have him use the sword and some of the other weapons that he used when he was bat when he was Robin with uh, Dick Grayson's Batman would be interesting. If I got to add a Batman character, I'd probably add Robin. Um, if you don't want to add that Robin, you can add red Robin or um, then, you know, then maybe Jason Todd, if anything, but again, he's going to be another character besides Deathstroke That's going to use guns. Eh, I mean, Zod uses guns too, but I don't know. I mean, like I said, it's becoming, it's kind of becoming injustice Batman edition. Like I said, there's a, a article on the site of 10 characters I'd like to see on Injustice. You can check that out on MyTakeRadio.com when you get a chance. And there's some interesting choices in there. Um, I wanted to see Plastic Man. Sue me. I, I, I grew up watching the cartoon. What do you want from me? Anyway, so everybody was really, really hyped during E3 about Mario Kart. And everybody was like, oh, yeah, Mario Kart's going to be awesome and blah, blah, blah. And it really got people talking. Everybody was buzzing about it. But you're not getting Mario Kart anytime soon. According to um, Nintendo of Europe's newsletter, it seems that the game is is confirmed for 2014. So there you have it. You will not be getting Mario Kart this year. So if you had your hopes up of playing Mario Kart on your Wii U this year, not happening. In some Xbox One news, we're learning that the new Connect is going to be able to scan QR codes. So from now on, instead of getting uh, those prepaid live points cards, you will now get a card with your dollar amount, obviously, since they're doing away with live points or with whatever other items you're purchasing. And all the Connect has to do is scan the QR code. Um, this already exists, though, because Connectimals uses the QR code. I got Connectimals for Josh's daughter and... The cool thing with that is with Connectimals, um, you would buy a bear from Build-A-Bear, which has a QR code. You'd scan that QR code into the um, Connectimals game, and that would put the Build-A-Bear in the game, which was pretty cool. I mean, um, you know, Josh's daughter, Josh writes for us, his daughter loved it. And I think it was a really great use of not only the Connect, but of the QR code medium as well. So Definitely cool to see people won't have to enter those long ass codes anymore. Just take your QR code, scan it with the connect and you are good to go. Halo four is in gaming news this week for two reasons. First up, they are doing a halo four global championship, which begins July 5th. Uh, Major Nelson announced it on his blog and um, it's going to kick off July 5th at the rooster teeth expo. But if you can't compete there, you can start competing July 15 on Xbox live via playlist. Um, the five weeks of free-for-all play on Xbox Live will require players to play at least 20 games a week on specific playlists. Six finalists from each event and 20 from Xbox Live will travel to Seattle for the finals. Now, the winner will take two. Will, the winner will take home $200,000. The other seven finalists will split $100,000 depending on placement. 
Obviously, all participants will also get random prizes, including 360 games and avatar items as well. So if you're a hardcore player, uh, hardcore Halo floor, ugh, excuse me, hardcore Halo 4 player, you'll be able to get involved starting July 15th on Xbox Live. And if you're going to the Rooster Teeth Expo, of course, you can get the ball rolling July 5th. Speaking of Halo 4, Xbox Wire announced that Halo 4 has reached a milestone of being the best-selling Microsoft Studios title ever in the U.S. market, surpassing Halo 3 for sales during each respective launch year. Obviously, Halo 4, a brand new entry in the series, was developed by 343 Industries. So there you have it, folks. Halo 4 goes into the record books, being the best-selling Microsoft Studios title ever. Now... The biggest news this week while on the subject of Microsoft is the big shakeup going on at Microsoft. And, of course, this is going to affect Xbox as well. And that is the departure of Don Matrick. Don Matrick, of course, head of Xbox, now going to Zynga. He will be the CEO of Zynga. He will be starting there next week. Now, Mark Pincus, who was the outgoing CEO, will remain as chairman and chief product officer. Of course, Matrick was the president of Microsoft's interactive entertainment business. He handled all products, including Xbox One. And um, prior to his work with Microsoft, he was president of EA. Now, it's crazy because Matrick is leaving Microsoft, which has its own fair share of problems. And he's jumping into Zynga, which has been struggling for the last couple of months with departures and layoffs. So all signs are pointing to Steve Ballmer pretty much overseeing xbox and um you know it's it's a little crazy steve bomber i always consider him the equip the tech equivalent of ogre from revenge of the nerds just because he is a fucking lunatic now i mean i don't think he's gonna do a bad job i just feel that in bomber's case you're dealing with a guy who's who's more driven by operating systems and not so much uh, well-versed in dealing with console releases. Now, again, this was the rumor that they were going with. Me personally, you know, if the only way that I can deal with Steve Ballmer being the head of Microsoft is if he just comes out and does that super, super crazy shit that he did a while back, which is this. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Yeah, 
That's the only way I will accept Steve Ballmer being in charge of Xbox. I want him to come out on a Segway with an Uzi, and he's just going to come out and do the truffle shuffle and talk about Xbox One. That is the only way that I would embrace Steve Ballmer being in charge of Xbox, because he is a fucking lunatic. He's a psychopath. But, again... Steve Ballmer being in charge is what everybody expects. There's a lot of rumors going around that it's that Julie Larson Green, who is head of Windows, is going to replace Don Matrick as head of the Xbox division. Of course, she will then report to Steve Ballmer. It, it's crazy because, you know, um, Julie Larson is in charge of various products. She led the UI design for Office XP, uh, Office 2003, 2007. She managed the launch of Windows 7 in 2009 and she did oversee Windows 8's, uh, the Windows 8 launch as well. I mean, the, this is all really leading to the big thing, which is Microsoft is in a period of restructure. And what's going to happen is that you have to look at it from the standpoint, and you've seen this already with Windows 8. They're really trying to bring Windows 8, Windows Mobile, and Xbox together so that they all play nice and work cross-platform with each other and everybody's digging it and again that's definitely not a bad thing to do because obviously there'll be a synergy between brands and products but the problem is you take a guy like Dan like you know like Dan Matrick guy he did he did well with Microsoft you know he's gonna go to Zynga not to say that Zynga's a shitty company but really they put out Farmville and some of the games that have consumed countless hours on Facebook I'll be honest when I can tell you that it's been about almost a year since I've seen any Farmville updates in my timeline or any of that crazy shit. Now, don't get me wrong. I've, I've, hit, I've hidden a lot of games, but I also haven't seen a lot of those Zynga games all over my timeline like I used to see. You know, more people are into Candy Crush and all that crazy shit. Nobody, nobody's really messing around with Zynga. And I, I really think in Zynga's case, it's a bit of too much too soon. You know, they get in bed with Facebook. Everybody's going crazy. And... The, the novelty wore off. If, if, Zynga, if Zynga said, hey, we're going to put Farmville out on Xbox, that, that might get people interested. You put Farmville on Xbox, I think you could definitely get people interested. Um, obviously, uh, do it free to play like you do and then just have people pay, whether it's in Xbox Live points or whatever, to um, increase, increase the, the, the features in the game. But I don't think it's going to go in that direction, but I think Zynga's in a, in a predicament where it's too much too soon and the well is starting to run a little dry. Is Don Matrick going to go in there and really uh, switch things up? Who knows? But Bomber overseeing Xbox is, is definitely a trip. Like I said, he's a lunatic, and I just don't feel that Bomber has his finger on the pulse of the gaming industry. I mean, the guy, you know, he's the CEO and he he's he has to know a little bit of everything, but I don't think he has his hands on the pulse of of the Xbox side as well as you would think. Now, if they're gonna go with uh, Julie Larson Green, same thing because yeah, she managed Office XP, she managed the launch of Windows Seven, which is great. She managed the launch of Windows Eight, but launching consoles is a different animal because when you're launching an operating system, you know you have you have. Um, the PC manufacturers behind you, you got retailers ready to go. You can release, um, you know, release candidates of, of software and people can try it out. 
and you have a better way to gauge what's going on with a with a console launch it's like here's the console let's make sure it gets out on time let's make sure that there's quality assurance we don't get red rings of death let's make sure that the console library is stacked so that we can make money etc 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 it seems like in this particular instance they're they're consolidating their power which is great but they're putting it in the hands of individuals who are not well versed in gaming and that is definitely a cause for concern we already know how much microsoft backpedaled with all the drm shit you know and i i kind of have a feeling that that may have been a factor in 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 matrix uh departure i think that definitely was a factor to say the least i think that when microsoft saw the writing on the wall they realized that there's too much fragmentation they got to bring everything in house and try and get everything to play nice but like i said the only way i can see this being successful is if they get an individual who is versed who is well versed in the gaming industry and knows how to how to meet the needs of gamers and you know who are my generation that's evolving into the the entertainment consuming generation and what i'm saying is you you have console generations now that are really divided you have People that casually play a couple of games here and there and like the all-in-one intuitiveness of the system. Then you got your hardcore gamers, which want, you know, the your Call of Duty, your Black Ops, your Halo, etc., etc. And they could give two shits less. So you got to really appease two fan bases. And I really think that the only way you can successfully do that is by having an individual that has their finger on the pulse of gaming. That's how I see it. But we'll see what happens. I, I, I really don't think that Matrick is going to do well at Zynga, not because he's, you know, he's a scumbag or anything, because, you know, I mean, I have a love-hate relationship with that guy, but I just feel that Zynga as a platform isn't as, um, it isn't as, put it like this, it's not something that people are chomping at the bit for, like, I hear more people talk about Candy Crush and Angry Birds than talk about, you know, Farmville or any of those games. I mean, the same thing can can apply with Draw Something. You remember Draw Something had this huge fan base. Everybody was going real crazy and then it just died. Like Draw Something, I still play it, but it's not like before where people are like, yo, man, I got like nine Draw Something games going on. If you can get maybe three games going, it's a stretch just because people have moved on to the next thing. Zynga's in that same boat. But we shall see what happens in the coming weeks as soon as I hear an announcement with regards to who will be taking Matrix's place, whether it's Bomber uh, putting on his um, his alpha beta jacket and screaming nerds into a microphone for 10 minutes, or um, you know whether it's going to be Julie Larson Green remains to be seen. Slick just told me that Draw Something 2 is out. How many people are playing it, though? I'm just curious. I mean... I'm not telling you to go and look up numbers slick. I'm just saying like draw something to his out, but it's like nobody gives a fuck. I think more people gave a fuck about temple run Two when it was announced. I don't know. It's just me. Anyway, let's go into this week's entertainment news. We have quite a bit to discuss on that side as well. Let's get the ball rolling. So Roland Emmerich is in the news this week talking about Independence Day 2, and he did confirm that Bill Pullman will be returning to reprise his role as President Whitmore. 
So there you have it. Bill Pullman is coming back. Will Smith is not. And Independence Day 2 will actually be seeing the light of day. In some other sequel news, all roads lead to Resident Evil 6 starting its shooting schedule this fall. Anderson right now is working, um, completing Pompeii. But once he's finished, he will start shooting uh, Resident Evil this fall. Mila Jovovich, of course, is slated to return as Alice. No plot details are available yet, nor is there a release date. So there you have it. Resident Evil 6 is going down. And some small screen news, it looks like FX is trying to capitalize on the success of shows like Vikings and uh, Hatfields and McCoys and the Bible by running a show based on Last of the Mohicans, which of course is the movie starring Daniel Day-Lewis. They're looking at doing a miniseries with that. Um, of course, it would um, kind of be tent-poled with all these other series like, you know, the Bible, um, Hatfields and McCoys, all those other series. I mean, the the thing with this is I actually watched um, Vikings and I watched, I think, three episodes. It was pretty cool. I liked it. But, you know, it, it, I, I also watch Spartacus and I watch um, Da Vinci's Demons. I watch a lot of shows. So I'd be curious to see how it looks. And I'd probably watch a couple of episodes. But I just think that that you utilizing that without any proper buildup is not going to get the reaction you would think. Like when I read it, I was like, oh, shit, Last of the Mohicans. I remember seeing that. When I was 13, you know, film, I think, came out in 92. I watched it a year later, I believe, or two years later, and it was all right. I enjoyed it. Is it a film I'd watch every time it's on? No. Would I watch a series? Depends on how much violence we can get away with. But, I mean, you know, Hatfields and McCoys was all right. I did watch the Bible miniseries, I think, once, and I was just like, nope, can't do it. And, um, like I said, Vikings was pretty badass, so... We'll see what happens with Last of the Mohicans when it debuts on FX. Now, a while back, there was a big gag going around with uh, Don Cheadle. And um, the character that that they were talking about that Don Cheadle was doing was uh, a character we all know quite well. But needless to say, this particular character is coming back and he's going to be on the big screen. I'm sure you guys recognize this. Yeah, Captain Planet is coming to the big screen. I kid you not. According to The Hollywood Reporter, it seems that Sony is looking to finally acquire the rights for the cartoon. The original series ran from 1993 to 1996, but it looks like Sony is going full speed, full speed ahead with getting Captain Planet on the big screen. So there you have it. Captain Planet coming to theaters near you. It's going to be so awful. It's going to be so awful. All I can say is that... um. Oh, man, it's going to be so bad with his green hair. He's rocking the mullet. I mean, it's going to be insane to to not make him look like the iconic Captain Planet. I mean, you can have a lot of fun with it and maybe do do something like... I'm not saying do it like kick-ass, but if I can compare Captain Planet to any character, any superhero that's had a movie, Captain Planet as a live-action movie would be the equivalent of Meteor Man with Robert Townsend. And if, and if you don't know what the hell Meteor Man is, do yourselves a favor. Look that shit up on IMDb 
and find a way to watch it because it is probably one of the tackiest superhero movies ever. But you know what? That's pretty much the territory Captain Planet would go into. So there you have it, folks. Captain Planet is coming to the big screen. And that is your what the fuck movie news of this episode thus far. Anyway, in some reboot news, it is 100% official. Terminator is getting the reboot treatment with the first film in a brand new series hitting theaters June 26, 2015. As of right now, it's been confirmed that Arnold will be reprising his role. Um, We don't know if he's going to be a Terminator or he's going to be playing a human role, but he will be reprising um, a character in the series. I don't know. A a lot of people are saying he's going to be a character that John Connor knew that they ended up, you know, that's why Skynet ended up building the Terminators to look like that individual. I don't know how they're going to pull that off, but again, it's a reboot. Um, There's a lot of rumors saying that they want to get the rock on board to play the Terminator. We'll see how that goes, but uh, I mean, we, we got to wait two more years. So I don't know. I mean, I really liked Terminator salvation. I mean, a lot of people will probably give me shit, but I I liked it. I like some of the stuff they were, they were doing with that movie. I mean, I liked CGI Arnold. I liked what they did with that. I liked all the different types of Terminators, you know, the motorcycle ones, Hunter killers. I liked where that was going and I liked the universe that they had set up, but not, not too many people felt the same way I did. It was, you know, oh, there you go. Ravage in the chat. Terminator Salvation was awesome. Thank you. I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I think um, Sam Worthington was a fucking dullard as usual, but um, it was, it was all right, man. It wasn't, it wasn't total garbage. Anyway, another remake of a film that nobody gives two shits about is Jacob's Ladder. Hollywood reporters saying that um, Mickey Liddell's LD Entertainment is financing the film and they are looking to do a remake of it with uh, Jeff Bueller writing the script. Jeff Bueller did Midnight uh, Meat Train, which is a um, it's a guilty pleasure. If you if you like horror flicks, definitely check out Midnight Meat Train. The original film was written by Bruce Joel Rubin and directed by Adrian Lin. That movie, you know, the, the, the premise of the movie was uh, Tim Robbins. He played a Vietnam War veteran who suffered from hallucinations and tries to find out what they mean. Of course, it has a crazy twist ending. It was made by Carol Coe, and it's a, it's a cult classic. Um, what they're looking to do is they want to do a film that'll pay homage to the original, but obviously not outright copy it. Of course, they want to modernize the story and use new situations, which I'm sure they'll probably use like the Gulf War and all this other shit. I'm sure that's where it's going. I, I, I'm almost certain that that's what they're going to do. But anyway... Jacob's Ladder is getting a remake of all the movies that you can possibly remake. It's a film that probably myself and maybe a, a, a hundred people probably give a shit about. So there you have it. Jacob's Ladder getting the reboot treatment. I'm sure a lot of our listeners that bought this stuff are going to be pretty pissed off with that, this next bit of news. Uh, Blu-ray.com announced that they will be releasing a deluxe Blu-ray edition of Batman The Dark Knight Returns. Now, if you guys pick that up, you know that you had to buy each Blu-ray individually because they were it was split up into two parts. This brand new set will be, of course, including both parts of the series and it will be out in October. I knew that shit was coming. I'm glad I didn't buy it. Um, it's going to include all the bonus features from the individual releases plus some exclusives as well. And that will be released on October 8th. You can pre-order it uh, via the MTR Amazon store. Just look for Batman The Dark Knight returns deluxe edition anyway 
there you have it. I'm glad I didn't buy it because I knew it. I knew that they were going to end up taking both parts and releasing it as one film. So, there you go. Oh, um, to answer your question, Slick, this brand new Terminator reboot is scheduled to be a brand new trilogy. I, I figured I'd answer that question. And we're looking at a brand new Terminator trilogy. I don't know if Arnold's going to live long enough. Oh, Batman. Uh, ah, sorry. Um, according to what I'm reading here with regards to The Dark Knight Returns, it's going to bring both parts. They'll probably put both parts on one Blu-ray and um, probably have all the extras and shit on one disc. Like I said, it just sucks because I know a lot of people, they picked up both. Um, and uh, again, it looks like it's all going to be on one disc. Don't quote me on it, but once I get more details, I'll share it with you guys. The set is going to be released October 8th. I mean, they're calling it a set. So it might be both discs. Who knows? I mean, I'm glad, like I said, I didn't buy it. And a lot of people told me great things about it. I ended up seeing the first part and I didn't see the second because I knew they would probably release a complete series. There you go. Slick Slick said it best. Unless it is one remastered film, I do not care. (laughs) There you go. So I wanted to talk about this and I wanted to get uh, people's thoughts on it. So we all know Man of Steel Everybody watched it. There was a lot of little subtle hints of Lex Luthor possibly appearing in the second film. We've all talked about uh, Lex Luthor and potential people that can play him. Well, Michael Rosenbaum, who played Lex Luthor on Smallville, actually threw his hat in the ring on Twitter by um, responding to an article that Buzz Focus put out saying, can Superman fans out there spread the word that there's really no other choice to play Lex Luthor? Let Cranston stick to meth. Thanks. Obviously, rumors are that Brian Cranston was was being considered for Lex Luthor. I mean, Michael Rosenbaum departed Smallville not on the best of terms. Now, all of a sudden, he wants to be reassociated with the with the with the genre. Don't get me wrong; he was a good Lex Luthor, but really, dude, like you didn't give a shit about it before. All of a sudden, now because you know the movie's making some money, you want to throw your hat in the ring. If I had to talk about any actors that could play Lex Luthor, I always felt I. I that John Hamm could play a more modern Lex Luthor. I don't know how well he would look bald though, but John Hamm, he's just that cool. Uh, he's got that, that swagger about him that really screams, you know, hardcore executive badass kind of a dude. He really, he just embodies that. I mean, I don't know if we're going to go with the bald Lex Luthor. I'm sure they will just to, to keep it with its comic roots, but you never know. Things have changed. I mean, they changed Superman's costume they changed Lois Lane, they changed Zod, so they could change Lex Luthor as well, but I've always felt John Hamm probably would have been my choice. Uh, the only other guy besides Hamm I would have gone, John Hamm that I would have gone with, uh, probably, and this is, uh, it's a bit of a stretch. The way I see it, if I if I really had to, to gauge who I would want, other, other than him, uh, Hamm. That's a tough one. Other other than than Cranston and maybe like I said, um, John Hamm. Shit, it's a tough call. I mean, I read an article recently that that did took some liberties casting some characters for um for DC movies, and they actually said that Brian Cranston would make a good Jim Gordon, which is true. That would that would actually work. I think he'd make a good Jim Gordon. That's for sure. As for as for Luthor, Luthor definitely is a 
is is a hard egg to crack because you want to make him a badass dude, but you don't want to make him you don't want to make him take all the screen time from Superman and that's kind of what happened with Superman Returns. You know, Kevin Spacey was just a a better actor. He was a better actor. So, you know, he really he really made Brandon Routh look look weak on screen. Seriously, that's that's how I felt. I always felt that he made him look fairly weak on screen. Maybe the only other guy I would go with would probably be Mark Strong. Mark Strong would make a pretty solid Lex Luthor. I mean, he's already bald, badass dude. He's fairly young, so that would work. I I would probably go with Mark Strong. Mark Strong would be a, a solid choice. Uh, you know, other than that, like I said, the other two actors I had in mind would be the only other ones I would consider for Luthor. Rosenbaum, like I said, he kind of he kind of fucked the, the the Smallville fans over, and to reward him by giving him a role in this film, eh, you know, to each his own. Ravage in the chat was saying, "Let's not make Luthor the main villain and just have him be a segue to Brainiac." You know what? With um the technology that they were showing on Krypton, you could probably use Brainiac, and Brainiac would be another good character that Superman could just beat up on screen, and it would look you know fairly awesome. So. I wouldn't mind Brainiac. I think I think Brainiac would be a good segue, but Luthor needs to definitely start being involved, and you need a guy that can really not only be a, a great presence on screen, but just has good chemistry um, with Henry Cavill as well. Anyway, on the box office side of things, speaking of Superman, Superman dropped to number five in the box office totals this past weekend. Uh, Monsters University was number one. The Heat was number two. World War Z was number three. White House Down was four. Man of Steel was five. This is the End is six. Now You See Me was seven. Fast and Furious six was eight. Star Trek Into Darkness was nine. And The Internship was ten. With uh, the money that Superman Man of Steel already made, um, IGN reported that the Man of Steel is officially past the $500 million mark worldwide. So definitely an impressive, impressive total for the film. And you have to consider the film hasn't even opened in Brazil or Japan. It's earned $248.7 million domestically, $271 million internationally. It's worldwide total stands at $520.4 million. So there you have it. Man of Steel definitely gaining a lot of steam, uh, feeding a lot of rumors about Justice League Feeding a lot of rumors about um, other characters that we may start seeing. It's a it's a good time to be a DC fan, and frankly, you know, DC fans they've earned it. I mean, after the the conclusion of the Batman trilogy, there was this whole big hole with regards to DC characters and where they would go. But I think Superman definitely got the ball rolling. Where they go from there remains to be seen. I do have to acknowledge the passing of Jim Kelly. Uh, Jim Kelly was in Enter the Dragon. He was also um, a black exploitation film star, including uh, Black Belt Jones, Three the Hard Way, and Black Samurai. Um, big fan of Jim Kelly. I actually started watching black exploitation films uh, when I was about ten years old. I, I watched a lot, of, a lot of the old stuff with Pam Greer. Uh, you know, Shiva, Shiva Baby, Coffee. Uh, black mama, white mama, you know, all that, all that really bad shit from back then. And Jim Kelly stuff, I actually ended up watching, uh, enter the dragon. And I really like 
the work he did there. So I ended up looking up a lot of his stuff back then. And I did watch Black Belt Jones, which is a favorite of mine, and Black Samurai as well. I never got to see Three the Hard Way, but I'm going to find a way to see that. I mean, definitely, you know, my condolences to Kelly's family. He was uh, 67 years old. Um, Definitely, I was bummed, you know, when I heard that, just because that's a guy who not only did did great things for African-Americans on film, especially being recognized as a martial artist, but he was part of a genre that was just just synonymous with the 70s. Like, all that black exploitation stuff, I, I loved all that shit. It was so hokey, so over the top, and above all else, there was no, they pulled no punches in those movies. I remember, I think it was in Foxy Brown, where Pam Greer walked around with a guy's dick in her jar. Uh, a guy's dick in a jar, I think he, he raped her sister, some, some real crazy shit. And don't get me wrong, I mean, you could probably see that in movies nowadays, but that was insane back then. Like, that was really pushing the envelope. So, you know, black exploitation films, they definitely uh, suffered a tremendous loss. I mean, you know, the, the these guys, they live on through their films, but still, nothing, nothing beats Saturday afternoon on Fox 5, and they have, you know... Uh, Kung Fu Theater, and you're watching Black Belt Jones. It was uh, tremendous, and I mean, the, the, the obviously Enter the Dragon was, um, you know, it was. There's there's no words to describe, um, just how how influential Enter the Dragon was. I mean, Enter the Dragon made me get into martial arts when I was a kid. I I love that. I loved. Um, just every aspect of Enter the Dragon, from the music to to the fights. I mean, the, here here's the um the best the best clip from um Enter the Dragon when you know Williams meets uh, Mr. Han, and again, like I said, it's it's an homage to Jim Kelly. Check this out. Been practicing, huh? Nothing, nothing beats uh, Jim Kelly and and Mr. Han. It was it was a great exchange. I was looking for the scene where he was like right out of a comic book. I thought this was it. There was this was just a fight between him and Mr. Han. But I put the link in the chat. You guys can check that out and. Um, the other one I did want to share, and I'll put that in the the chat as well, is the fight from Blackwell from Black Belt Jones, which was the dojo fight. Definitely one of the one of the coolest moments with uh, Jim Kelly. So, two last bits of news to wrap things up for this week. Um, number one being that the um, Amazing Spider-Man two is going to allegedly close out with not. Norman Osborn becoming the Green Goblin, but Harry Osborn. According to MovieWeb and a lot of other sites, it seems that Dane DeHaan will be taking on the role of the Green Goblin and not Chris Cooper, who is playing Norman Osborn. Um, it's rumored that the scene will take place at the end of the film, and um, it says that they're also going to do some stuff post-credits that will lead into Amazing Spider-Man 3. So there you have it. All signs are pointing to Dane DeHaan becoming the Green Goblin before as Harry Osborn and not Norman Osborn. So make of that what you will. 
Um, Amazing Spider-Man, of course, hits theaters May 2nd, 2014. Now, of course, it's July. San Diego Comic-Con is coming. A lot of news are probably going to come out of there in the coming weeks. Uh, One of the first bits of news that's coming out is that we will be seeing some stuff regarding the remake of The Crow. Uh, Some of the cast of the film, including Luke Evans, will be at San Diego Comic-Con discussing the project. Hopefully, we'll see some sort of a Comic-Con trailer. I'm interested in seeing how it's going to look and what direction they take. So there you have it. As we get closer to San Diego Comic-Con, I'll make sure to share any pertinent information on air on our Facebook fan page or on the site. All right, guys, that's actually going to wrap up My Take Radio's 190th episode. And um, it's July 4th, 1248 in the morning. Just want to wish you guys on behalf of my staff and myself um, a great Independence Day. Don't drink too much, those of you that get hammered, and um, don't eat too much because <laughs> you may end up on the bowl and nobody wants to do that. Definitely make sure to consume a fair amount of charred animal flesh for sure. Anyway, on behalf of myself, Slick, Andrea, Ben, Blade, Quark, Mortis, and the rest of the MTR team, I will catch you guys next week. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 190 for Wednesday, July 3rd. 2013. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, at mytakeradio, add us on Facebook, become a fan on our Facebook fan page, facebook.com forward slash mytakeradio. Last but not least, add us to your circle on Google+. You can get the complete MyTake Radio experience by picking up the official MyTake Radio apps for Android and iOS devices. For Android, you can pick it up in the Amazon Android Marketplace. And for iOS devices, of course, iTunes is your source for that. You can always listen to MyTake Radio on Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, Zoom Marketplace, on the GFQ Network, and of course, on Mixler. Last but not least, if you are getting the shows via iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show. We'd really appreciate it. Every review helps us move up in the rankings, gets us new listeners, and gets us more exposure. So again, every little bit helps. I will catch you guys next week. Thank you all for listening. Peace.
Thank you for using Blog Talk Radio. Goodbye.